You're listening to Medically Unbiased. Unbiased. Offering an unbiased discussion about all things medical. See? An unbiased opinion. Medically speaking? Yeah. Medically Unbiased. Hey, Ron, what's up? What's up? How was your 4th of July, man? It was great. Yeah? Did you light out some fireworks and try and burn the place down or what? I, I did. Good I, for you. I did. No, I, no horrible accidents, though. I like that. No uh, emergency room visits for lost digits. <laughs> no. <laughs> Saw a lot of pictures on the internet this weekend, though, of people from nurses, different pages, showing uh, accidents that happened. Oh. Yeah. You know, one nurse showed a picture, and she says, look, not all fuses are built the same. <laughs> Be prepared to release the firework. Don't light it in your hand. Were you in town for fourth? No, no, I went out of town. I went to the mountains. I would say it felt like there was a lot of fireworks out there, and it went on forever. Yeah, I think people were trying to, you know, express their frustration with COVID, the lockdown. They're uh, ready to be done with the whole thing. Yeah, but we're not done, are we? No, <laughs> not even close. Well, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about COVID again because, damn it, that just can't leave the news cycle. It's just ever-present in our medical news. Even at the office, we're talking about it all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the amount of cases, how many, who's sick, who's not, what's happening. This seems to be a constant, ongoing discussion. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're also going to talk about the new dietary guidelines that are getting set up. Uh, every five years, there's a panel convened, and they discuss how we're going to help Americans stay healthy. And I have a feeling that they're going to make us just as sick as we were the last 30 years. Nothing's going to change. Yeah. And then uh, we'll finish up with a random topic. How's that sound? Love it. All right, cool. Let's uh, get rolling. So I was looking online, and there's this woman named uh, Addie, and she has this, or Adley, excuse me, uh, her Instagram is at Adley, A-D-L-E-Y. And she has a really funny video that kind of highlights what I feel the general public hears when the medical professionals, I, I hate to even call them that, when the people who have been dictating guidelines to the society as a whole regarding coronavirus, this is what I think this is truly what they hear. Because sometimes I feel like this is what I hear from them. So I'm going to play this little video and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, I really don't understand why everybody isn't following the same rules right now. They're very clear. So let's take a minute and let's go over them again. First, you must not leave the house for any reason. Unless, of course, you have a reason and then you may leave the house. All stores are closed except those that are open. And all stores must close unless, of course, they need to stay open. This virus is deadly but don't be afraid of it. It can only kill people who are vulnerable and also those who are not vulnerable. We should stay locked down until the virus stops infecting people. And it will only stop infecting people if enough of us get infected that we build immunity. So it is very important that we get infected and also do not get infected. You should not go to the doctor's office or the hospital unless you have to go there. Unless of course you are too sick to go there. This virus has no effect on children except for those children in which it affects. The virus remains active on different surfaces for two hours or four hours 
or six hours, but in most cases it's days and not hours and it needs a damp environment or a cold environment that is warm and dry in the air unless the air is plastic. Schools are closed, so you need to homeschool your children unless you can send them to school because you are not home. If you are at home, you can school your children using various portals and online classrooms unless you have poor internet, more than one child, only one computer, or you are working from home. Baking cakes can be considered math, science, or art. If you are home educating, you can include household chores within their education curriculum. And if you are home educating, you may start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. every day. If you are not home educating children, you may also start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. Masks are useless at protecting you against the virus but you still need to wear one because it can save lives. And in some cases it may even be mandatory, but also maybe not. You must not go to work, but you can get another job at which point you may go to work. Stay home. I don't know how many more celebrities we need to have tell you how important it is to go outside and take care of your mental health. There is no shortage of groceries in the supermarket. There are simply many things missing. You don't need to go buy a bunch of toilet paper, but you should buy some in case you need it. If you are sick, you may go out once you are better, but those in your household, they cannot go out once you are better, unless of course they need to go out. Animals are not affected by the virus, except for that cat that tested positive in Belgium in February, plus a couple tigers. The number of corona-related deaths will be announced daily, but we don't know how many people are infected because we were only testing those who are almost dead to determine if that's what they will die of. The people who <laughs> die of corona who are not counted won't or will be counted, but maybe not. To help protect yourself during these times, you should be eating well and exercising, but exercising only eating what you have at home to avoid going to the stores unless you need toilet paper or a fence panel. It's important to get fresh air, but don't go to parks, but do go walk in other places. <laughs> Just don't sit down unless you are old or pregnant. But if you do sit down, don't sit for too long unless you are old and you are pregnant, in which case you need to sit down. But if you do sit down, don't eat unless you've had a long walk, which you are allowed to do if you are old or pregnant, except. Oh man, I bumped the button. That's okay. I think it's funny. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, that woman breaks down all of the dysfunction that is that is this crazy system, in my opinion. I think she absolutely nails it. Absolutely. And she... Oh, my God. I, can't, I don't know why. I'm trying to shut my damn system off, and it's killing me. Sorry. And oh. she... Um, she still hits point on a lot of things that are still happening today. And uh, how long ago was that video done, do we think? Uh, the original video was done in April, if I'm not mistaken. I can go yeah. pull it back so up. So it's July, it's July, what, 6th? Yes, yes. And um, everything's still relevant. It's literally yeah. the exact same thing that's happening today. Yeah. Because people awesome. don't know and don't understand the virus yet. How is that even possible? Well, not people, but... Yeah, April 20th, she posted that. April 20th. And it's got it's like three, almost four million views on her on her YouTube page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, her YouTube rolling. page is called The Adley Show. A-D-L-E-Y Show, The Adley Show. So I think she kind of summarizes the average American's plight in this COVID-19 pandemic nonsense. Mm-hmm. I mean... One state will tell you you can't walk on the beach. Another state will tell you you can walk on the beach, but only the wet parts of the beach. 
You can't walk on the sandy part, like the non-wet parts. There was a woman, like a congreg- or a mayor of a city, talking about how if you're playing tennis, and she lost it because what she said, it's so funny. She's talking about playing t- tennis. I can't even tell it because it's too funny. I should pull it up. She talks about playing tennis and how you're supposed to regulate how you play tennis, and you're not allowed to touch each other's balls. She literally says that. And then she goes, I'm turning red, and she walks off camera. <laughs> so they want to, like, I didn't know coronavirus affected you while playing tennis with your friends, but this is the insanity that the American public hears, and there's no straightforward answer. Now, my buddy who lives in Taiwan, he's pretty adamant that masks help, but he also is following the Taiwanese guidelines, which is, we are all following what the government tells us, irrespective of whether we have the ability to think or not. Americans don't do that. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have fought uh, in 1776 if we were like, okay, England, we'll do whatever you say. We'll pay taxes. No problem. Thanks. No, Americans in general are kind of against the being told what to do. We did reluctantly starting in March and we shut down, but now it's going to be harder to, it's harder, I think, to mandate this. My buddy even talked about, well, you know, aren't masks mandated there? I'm like, but they let, they let prisoners go so they wouldn't get COVID. They let them go from jail, like low grade prisoners, I guess some murders were, I don't know the details on all of them, but there was people released from prison and jail because they were worried about them getting COVID. And now we're going to fine people for not wearing masks? Come like Some doesn't make sense. Well, fine people or close businesses down if they see people in there wearing, not wearing masks, which is which makes it very difficult for the people that actually have to utilize those businesses. Right. Well, California is issuing a $1,000 fine if you're not wearing a mask in public. Once again... As we said before, everyone's focused on the mask. No one's talking about washing your hands and staying away. I mean, right. They're, they're kind of saying, if you wear them, like if CDC guidelines, you know, if you cannot social distance, you should be wearing a mask. Right. Right. Uh, there's a lot of social distancing going on. I don't see a lot of people hanging out with each other unless it's family. Look, Vegas is reopened. And we live in Vegas. Vegas is reopened. So all the casinos are back and open and never, not all, but most of the, the bigger casinos are open and things are supposed to be back to quote unquote normal. And I saw a picture from Sunday, the holiday, the strip was empty, dude. It wasn't. People were naturally socially distancing. You can open up all the businesses you want. Nobody's going there. Yeah. They're naturally going to stay away. This is, I don't think that we need to, as a society, needed to mandate some of those things. I think it was already happening. Yeah, I think we know better. Well, I would hope, I would hope we're able to make those decisions. They seem to let us make the decisions of whether we want to smoke or whether we want to drink alcohol and drive, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah, that's illegal to do, but it's still a decision that gets made by us. So, I don't know, just weird. No, it's weird. It's weird, and you know, for for government to come down and say, 
Well, if uh, if if COVID numbers start increasing, which they're testing more, mm-hmm. whatever, um, we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna kick it back to phase one. We're gonna we're gonna stop people from dining in restaurants <laughs> right. because that is where COVID spreads right but it only spreads when you're standing up so when you're walking from the front door to your chair you need to wear a mask but if you're sitting at the table it doesn't affect you when you're sitting yeah right because when <laughs> you sit at the table you take your mask off so you can eat right the, the re- it's just it's just so ludicrous and like i said when we talked about mom mentality you know mm-hmm. it's it's one way for the karens out there to see that you're not wearing a mask so they feel empowered to say something to you. Well, that gives them the ability to make really quick uh, determination whether you're following the guidelines or not. Mm-hmm. It's a visual representation of whether you're willing to do. So I read online a really good argument about the shopping cart analogy. So shopping carts are a really good way to see if people are willing to do what they're supposed to do in society, Right. So if you go shopping and you load your groceries into your vehicle and you leave your shopping cart in the middle of all the vehicles, you're probably not going to follow, you know, the general guidelines of society anyway, whatever those are. If it's don't take two parking spaces because that's just the right thing to do or, you know, wash your hands when you leave the restroom because that's the accepted, you know, rule of thumb. You know, they don't do those things. But there's people out there that will actually walk their empty shopping cart to the car, you know, cart return section and actually park it there. And, you know, no, they're not looking to get praise. They don't break their arm, patting themselves on the back like, oh, my gosh, I put my cart away. I am an amazing human being and I deserve a medal and a reward. Yeah. I mean, I do that. Right. I do it. And I'll I'm still out. waiting for my reward. I'm Well, you're not going to get one. Oh. Sucks to be you. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but uh, someone posted a, like a meme or a, sent a few sayings about that, and it's kind of true when you think about it, right? So the shopping cart is the un, uh, untold hero of the social functioning in the world. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll actually determine whether someone's going to do what they're supposed to do or not. And I have to say that I don't believe for a minute that most people would be willing to put their shopping cart back. Cause how many times do you go shopping and it's like not there? It's in the way. Yeah. It's in the parking space. Something's bothering you. Right. So even mandating stuff, isn't going to change what they're going to do. No, it's not. It shouldn't. I don't know. It's really frustrating because they're mandating stuff now here in Vegas. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's hilarious because, you go to the store and you ever go to the store without a mask. I went into Lowe's a couple of days ago without a mask. I just I don't know, didn't wear a mask, man. The looks I got. Oh, it was crazy. They were upset. Everyone else was wearing a mask. So I thought, well, y'all are wearing a mask. I think it's probably good. I'm not too worried about it. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to wear one. I am fine. But man, I didn't get no Karens attacked me like in that video from our last episode. But, uh, yeah, there was people looking at me pretty sternly. Yeah, not yet. No, not yet. So but you're kind of a big guy, so I don't, I don't know how many people, how many Karens are going to go up to you and be, you, what are you doing? Isn't that what Karens do? They kind of go up to you. I don't know. So I want to 
play this video since we talked about it, this tennis ball video. This is from Nassau County, this uh, mayor. It's kind of funny. Every player, unless they're from the same household, has to bring their own tennis balls so that you don't touch other people's tennis balls um, with your hands. You can kick their balls, but you can't <laughs> touch them. <laughs> oh, she loses it. She like... I'm going to blush, so... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you can kick their balls, but you can't touch their balls. That's how I feel with the mass. They're <laughs> kicking my balls all the time. I just think it's funny that we needed a press conference. There's literally her and three people or two people around her, talk, three people telling us how to socially distance while freaking playing tennis. Yeah, because that's a national sport. Well, it's, it's the a, only one that's going on right now. Well, fair enough. But. They didn't discuss frisbee, right? And don't you have to fucking catch the like? What if you're playing frisbee and I throw? So are you supposed to then knock it to the ground with your foot in some? You can kick a frisbee. You, you just can't catch one, <laughs> or catch it between your <laughs> knees, and then wipe it with a Clorox wipe, and then you can throw it back to your friend. It's just the stupidest shit it, we've ever heard. It is. It is because, like I said, that's where most of the COVID's being spread. He's on the tennis courts <laughs> of tennis America. Ball. Right. You got to watch out, man. Be careful. Those tennis balls are contagious. The reality of it is we have been locked in our homes. Yes. And we haven't been going out. We haven't been doing a lot of things. And then they start opening things up, right? So even if you had the the tests or if you had, um, even if you were positive and then you were waiting for your negative to come through, um, but you feel better. It's three days after you know any symptoms. You decide to go out. Maybe you're one of those asymptomatic carriers. Whatever you're getting out of the house, right? Regardless, uh, you're going to interact or touch with whatever inanimate object is going to be in your way. If you're going to the grocery store or whatever, you potentially could spread the disease. Absolutely, yeah. And there's people out there that will get the disease because they haven't been out and about and they haven't really caught whatever needed to be caught um flu wise say for the right. flu season so they're susceptible you know it it's almost inevitable to 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 say that you know you have to say that the the covid numbers and and getting it will go up it has to go up <laughs> right? but we're testing more so it's going to go up but the yeah. irony is the number of deaths haven't gone up right it, so if you just look at the death count of covid Versus the infection rate, the infection rate's getting higher. The death rate's only climbing slightly every day, mm -hmm. which you would expect because there's been people infected for a while and there's going to be people die. Yeah, I, so I mean, people are going to die. Cases in the United States, coronavirus, uh, July 6th updated 2.8 million people, total cases, 129,811 deaths. Right. But if you look at the at the timeline of infections versus deaths, right? So, well, first of all, let's do this. If we take New York out of the equation, that's a big number. But is there numbers? Let me ask you this. Is there death numbers going up? No. Who's, there, who's death York, number? New York. New York. Uh, is, there positive, is there positive cases increasing? Yeah, there are positive confirmed cases supposedly increased today by 500 and... 
It's 18. But here's what's funny. So California supposedly increased by 11,000 yeah. cases. So right? for ground... Florida by 10,000 cases. Yeah. So for ground zero, right? very minimal positive cases, right? New York was supposed to be ground zero. Right. And, you know, for, for a, a city, the reality of it is, is probably the majority of the people in New York City mm-hmm. have it, had it. Or have it, you know, or meaning right. they're getting, the, you know, they've probably already gone through the process. Right. So they're dwindling down. They're not, they're not spiking. All these other places, Florida, um, California, California, Arizona, they've been all mandated to stay home, which they've been doing, but now they're out. Right. You know, we're not, though you have to see those. What about Minnesota is another one, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there's argument to be said, you know, are we seeing spike? Are we seeing a spike in the cases because of um, more protesting in those states, meaning more people together? Maybe, maybe. Because so, a lot of these states have been open for two months now. Why are we seeing positives and increased now? Like California has been open for a while. Yeah, no, it has. Um but I don't think it was always hard open. Not everything was open in California. And they've had a mask mandate for a little bit now, too. But I'm looking at, so I'm looking at the John Hopkins data, right? And the Johns Hopkins data shows that there's 130,284 U.S. deaths, but the CDC says there's 129,811 deaths. And then the Google tracker says there's 132,000 deaths. So are they rounding up and someone's rounding down? I don't know. Yeah, once again, mystery data. Mystery data. It's all different. Like there's no there's no one size fits all data, right? And then worldmeters.info shows um deaths globally. It talks about global deaths at the uh, five hundred and forty thousand numbers. Um, and that seems to be the case. But if you look at the numbers of daily deaths in April April 10th, according to the world, this world meters, it's got some pretty decent info, uh, at least to, to see, to, to look at. Um, so in one of their graphs here, it says that like in April 10th, there was 7,900 deaths daily, right? But that number has fallen every, every day since up to July 4th. Now, globally, there was 5,000 deaths on July 3rd and 5,000 on July 4th or something. However, daily cases has exponentially risen, right? So from April, it went, it was daily cases was 80,000. Now daily cases is, you know, 200,000 globally. Yeah. So death rate down, positives up. and, And the median age is lowered. Right. Yeah, it's lowered according to some of the data across the board. Yes. Yeah. So we're seeing younger people who have good, assuming good uh, immune systems, mm-hmm. positive for COVID. Right. That aren't they're not going to die. No. But here's the question. So why to me why is this happening is the question that needs to be asked. And I think I have an answer, but I haven't. I, I'm not an epidemiologist, and I haven't verified this with data. But when we were testing early on. We were only testing, like Addie said in her video, we were only testing very sick people early on. Yep. So our presumed COVID 
infections and very ill patients that were probably going to die got tested and they tested positive. So the higher death rate equaled closer to the infection. It was closer. It wasn't, you know, now you're talking, you're testing everybody, right? We're supposedly CDC says we did 32 million tests, even though some of those tests were repeats on the same person, but they've included them in the numbers anyway. And some of the positives were repeats on the same person. They've included them in the positive, you know, COVID tests. So, but the number of deaths hasn't significantly increased. It's like we got 200,000 new cases, but only six people still, still only six people died or whatever. Yeah. And most likely high risk. Right. Most likely, but they won't tell you that either. They won't give us that information. Right. They're not telling us who's dying where. Right. But, but that is interesting though. You know, we were, you're absolutely right. We were, we were testing the uh, vulnerable people. We're testing people in nursing homes and uh, specialty care homes and LTACs and even the the very super sick in the hospital was getting, you know, they were getting tested and coming in. They were sick. They had a lot of issues. So, yeah, our death rate is going to be high. has to be. It's not like, you know, we're testing in the beginning. It's not like we're testing a bunch of 20 year olds. Right. You know, it's testing senior citizens, frail elderly, that kind of stuff. So now we're leveling out the Cases versus death, right? right? So right. more cases going up, less de- deaths going down. We're not testing. Well, first off, on top of all that, if you died of stroke, right. died of a heart attack, right? your postmortem, they did a postmortem swab. Oh, guess what? They have COVID. That's part of the death. Yes. COVID is counted as a death of COVID, even though that's not what they died from. Well, like web, they died that, with. Well, that right? WebMD rate, they, they'll say from. They, it'll be counted as part of the COVID death Correct. for sure. Early on, for sure. I don't know if they're still doing it, but I know they did it early on. So if you're testing a lot of these very sick and elderly people that are probably on death's door, most of them. Some of them, at least. Yeah. Some in hospice and what. Right. You know, that we're going to die regardless. Right. At some point in time, we're all going to die. Hey, guess right? what? They're COVID. Boom. Let's Boom. Let's make another 38K. Let's, yeah, let's throw let's like, throw that on there now because we wanted to see we want to see you know did they have COVID or not? Okay, they had COVID. That's fine, but they didn't. They died with it. Right. You don't die. You know, you can die with with other disease. You know, like cancer doesn't necessarily kill you. Right. It's the diseases that come with it. The the issues you have with cancer. Maybe you become you get pneumonia. True. You die of pneumonia is what you're dying from. Right. You, but you were your immunity was so low with cancer and chemo and radiation and whatever you were dealing with, you you had cancer. That's really that's what it led to. You know what I mean? Right. This is oh you have, but this is like flipped on its side. So you're saying oh well you know what you were in a horrible car accident, but uh, we found out oh or, or or even better we kneeled on your neck and we killed you. But you oh, had COVID. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. That's horrible. Yeah. That's, that's sick and wrong, actually. <laughs> but you hit too soon? Too, but, yeah, way too fucking soon. <laughs> but you had COVID. So we're, we're, you're out of the, this so is where gonna, you died from. So if George not, Floyd had COVID, it was tested positive, you're gonna, they're going to use that in court? To say I, that, I, I, I don't know. Oh, my God. But that's the, the whole point, though, is why are we, you know, what is the point of po- testing these people after the fact of what they originally were dying from? Yeah, no, I I get that. They, there was a story about a young boy, first first child to die from COVID, 
It was on uh, WebMD. I think I highlighted it on the podcast a few months ago or a month ago. Yeah. And uh, that kid died of a traumatic injury, like drowning in the swimming pool kind of injury, right? Postmortem analysis said positive for COVID. That's what they do. Worldwide, young child dies from, you know, first child to die from COVID. Yeah. Wasn't, no, didn't die from COVID. I mean, children, children have it, but their immunity is pretty good. Yeah. Thank well, God. So if we look at just California, and this number is going to be out of whack because California's positive cases was pretty high, but they've got a lot of people sort of testing more. So according to Google's data right now, there was a, a plus of 11,529 people today, or at least when it was, this was done. And then there was six positive more deaths. So that's 0.05%. Yeah. And that's, that's positive cases. We're not even talking about how many cases actually were done. Right. You know, okay. Right. Maybe you, maybe you, if you have 11,000 positives, but what if you did 60,000 cases, swabs? And you, you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. the numbers are even, would be way smaller. Right. If you, we don't know the denominator. That's what I keep arguing. That's my biggest point here is we don't know the denominator. Right. And so, I don't know if you watched the testimony of Fauci on on the Senate floor when he was talking to uh, Senator Rand Paul about things. And Senator Rand Paul, he kind of went after Dr. Fauci aggressively. And there was a back and forth, and Senator Paul said, hey, you know, you've told us this stuff, and then you changed your mind, you told us this stuff, and he kind of called him out on everything he's done. And then Fauci danced around the answer, never really answered it. What's more funny is that if we're supposed to be wearing masks to protect everybody when we're speaking, what did Fauci do? Fauci, the guy that we're supposed to follow, he took his mask off to be able to articulate words better in the microphone in front of him. Yeah. Then he put his mask back on to listen to the response. That's the dumbest shit I ever heard. If that's so, why are the Karens yelling at me for wearing a mask when I'm supposed to be like protecting them and yet? The preeminent, God-loving, all-knowing, you know, epidemiologist at the National Institutes of Health and Health and Human Services is the one that's supposed to be guiding us, and he's the one taking off his mask at, during an exchange of conversation. He should be leading the country in what to do. And the irony is he wasn't wearing a surgical mask. He wasn't wearing an N95 mask. Nope. He was wearing a mask with his favorite, like, baseball team or something on it. Yeah, I think well, it was the Arizona Cardinals or something. Yeah, there's also video of him taking his mask off in between commercial breaks when they were <laughs> filming it. So yeah. he's there on camera wearing the mask, and you see this, and then you see that you know when they cut for a commercial, or whatever they have their break, the camera supposedly is off, but it's still recording. Mm-hmm. He pulls down his mask and he's standing there, you know, with his mask down, probably because he needs to breathe. Whatever. I mean. The idea, so let's debunk that myth right now. There's a lot of videos out there talking about your CO2 level goes up when you breathe. And No, 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 no. That's a bunch of crap. The people using the meters to say that, okay, they're putting it right by their mouth. And when you act in the air currently right now is 21% oxygen, give or take a half a percent in the general air. And you breathe in and you exhale. When you exhale, you're leaving, you're exhaling 14% oxygen. So yes, there's more, you know, CO2 than there previously was. But guess what? 
when I do chest compressions on somebody who's laying on the ground, not breathing, I don't, I no longer, the ACLS guidelines no longer have me blow into their mouth to give them oxygen. Now, if I'm able to blow air out of my mouth initially and put it into their mouth, then that must be enough oxygen to oxygenate a person. But they don't even require that anymore because guess what? You have enough oxygen to cycle it three or four times in your body yep. before you really need to get more oxygen in your lungs. So now it's just compression, 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 compression until somebody comes with drugs or a defibrillator and we fix the problem, right? So no longer is there mouth-to-mouth as part of the resuscitation efforts of ACLS guidelines or BLS guidelines, excuse me. ACLS, I'd be intubating them and everything else. But yeah. BLS guidelines, I wouldn't be doing any mouth-to-mouth resuscitation so the idea that a mask is preventing me from inhaling enough oxygen is just bupkis i i as much as i hate masks i'm gonna debunk that theory right now that's crap yeah because if it was a if it, if that was a problem to begin with they wouldn't be wearing those types of masks maybe they figure something else out nurses and doctors would have died long time ago yeah they've been wearing these for mechanics painters you know, people working in very dusty and mining environments would have died from CO2 exposure. No, sorry. It's not carbon monoxide. It's not like we're an internal combustion engine and we're producing carbon monoxide, which is a lot different than carbon dioxide. But, you know, there's science involved and stuff, and we don't need to explain that. No. Because I'm not that smart, honestly. Yes, you are. All three of our listeners would be like, he's lying. <laughs> well, at least we increased from two to three. Yes, we did. And welcome, Virginia, whoever you were. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. Well, let's do this. Let's go to a different topic because I'm kind of sick of beating the whole COVID nonsense to, to death. Yeah, so if you have any questions about COVID or want to reach out to us. Yeah, give us an email, okay? Or you can hit us up on uh, Twitter. We have a Twitter feed as well, you know, but... Give us an email, info at medicallyunbiased.com, or Twitter handle is medicallyunbiased. Ironically, it's our name. That's pretty cool, so you should be able to find us. Yeah. Um, Cool logo, skull, mask, because I love the mask. So we put a mask on a skull and uh, made a goofy logo for you. So We have one follower. (laughs) Yeah, one follower, and I'm not even related to this one. Uh, It's kind of good, you know? It's you, but it's hilarious nonetheless. Okay, love it. So I want to touch on the new dietary guidelines, like I talked about in the beginning of the show. So the dietary guidelines are were the initial thought from what I can gather was it was created to try and help us get healthy, lose weight, right? Yep. And where did all this come from? Well, years ago, uh, there were two scientists locked in battle who was going to be the person to win for for the dietary guidelines right so ansel keys was our guy at harvard right and then john yudkin was a scientist and a professor in europe uh queen's uh university so john yudkin hypothesized uh, correctly now, you know, uh, at the time, everyone was like, oh my gosh, he's crazy. He wrote a book called uh, Pure White and Deadly, and he said that sugar in its rawest form was going to be what killed people in general. 
is to be the cause of all our issues. Whereas uh, Ansel Keys came along and he said, nope, it's fats, saturated fats from meats. Um, that's what's going to cause our death. So what did we as a society do? We changed our diets. If anyone remembers back to the 80s, Jane Fonda was making workout videos. Um, Jack LaLanne, he made a juicer. He was going to juice our way to health. We were going to eat healthier. Um, Ron Popeil made a food dehydrator. We were going to save and store food, store good foods, right? Fruits and stuff. And we started taking fats out of foods. We started eating low fat foods. Well, when you cut fat from food, any fat, what do you have to do? Fat, fat makes food taste good, right? Oh yeah. So Jim Gaffigan, the comedian does a really good skit on this. He talks about, how bacon is the pixie dust of the food community, right? It says, you eat a salad, and you're like, oh, my God, I don't need a salad. That's horrible. Sprinkle it with bacon. You're like, mmm, this is tasty, right? Oh, yeah. So fat is flavor. But if you take fat out of the food, you have to pump up something. And protein's expensive. So they're going to pump up the sugar or the carbohydrate value of the food. And when they pump that value up in the food, all of a sudden it's palatable, it becomes sweet enough to eat and it becomes something you desire, right? So what did we do? We got rid of fats, snack wells, foods made, little Debbie snacks made food, all this good stuff, right? And all of a sudden, we had really crappy food. Nobody thought of it that way because it's got a heart on the box and it's American Heart Association likes it. And Cheerios says it will lower your cholesterol. Literally says that on the box. Helps lower cholesterol. I think it still does. Well, guess what? What if it lowers your numbers but kills you? It'd be bad. So what if it's made with really crappy stuff that uh, good old Ansel Keys in his... So he, he did a country called the Seven... or did a study called the Seven Countries Study, which is stupid because he actually studied like... I think it was 30 countries, and then he just cherry-picked the seven that he wanted out of there to fit his narrative because the, because the other countries didn't that fit. That fat was bad. Yeah, the fat was yeah. bad, right? One of the countries was us. Yeah, oh, yeah, one of the countries was us for sure. Us, um, Finland, Netherlands, Italy, yeah. So he chose countries that predominantly ate fat-based, meat-based diet. And then he because the other countries that – you know, were healthy on the same diet. Had lower numbers. Yeah, lower numbers, so he didn't use them. He only used the seven countries that fit his narrative. Yep. It's really well documented in, in all of the history that he purposefully fudged his numbers. Now, I don't mean to beat a man when he's dead, and he did live to be 100, so, you know, that's something, I guess, especially in his time because we you know, didn't have a lot of the medicines we have. So, Whatever, maybe a good genetics or you did something right. Who knows? Well, there, there is also, you know, you have to look up, but there's some history behind him having connections with certain, um, you know, certain things. You know, there people. You mean like industry people? Yeah, like industry people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, he had a lot of connection with them, but all these guys. The problem is, is all these guys were just. Well, I say all these guys. Um, Gerald Raven, or Raven. Uh, was an actual scientist and a doctor. Um, he got his education at the University of Chicago and the University of Michigan. 
And he was probably most well-known for developing the term called insulin resistance and syndrome X or metabolic syndrome. His research really was the foundation early on for what someone like Ansel Keys kind of jumped on and leaned on, right? So, but Ansel Keys dismissed Reven as false, as what he was saying was wrong. And Reven, to continue to get his information at Stanford, he was working at Stanford at the time, and to continue to be able to do research, he never really dug deeper into his research. He showed that if you eat less carbohydrates, and his the lowest he ever went at one time was like, I think it was 17% carbohydrate intake in a diet that he measured in a trial. That was the lowest he ever went. And he showed that that will quickly drop triglycerides in the blood. He was able to demonstrate that. After that, he went to 20, and then he went to 40. And he always dabbled in the 40% range. And it's been hypothesized by numerous scientists that the reason he never went lower than that was because there's no way he would ever get funding for any of his research from the industry if he showed that their stuff was poisonous. Yeah, that makes sense. So sugar, as it is today, is poisonous to the human body, as far as I'm concerned. From all the research and all the information I've seen, like we don't need glucose, we don't need to eat it, right? We got gluconeogenesis happening in the body. It'll actually convert glucose from fat. Um, So we don't need it. We don't need to eat sugar. We don't need to consume carbohydrates. So what's happened over the course of since the 80s? Because in 1985, there was no children 18 or under with type 2 diabetes. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Our lifetime. I don't remember. I was like the token fat kid, right? There was not a lot of fat kids in your school. In the 70s and 80s. Wasn't a ton. No. Maybe one, you know. Yeah, a token. Fat kid. Every school had one, right? I was the I was the fat kid. So if you didn't know if you didn't know who he was, you might have been the token fat kid. I'm just saying. Could have been me. It could have been. I don't know. If you if you can't name him. I don't you know? remember eating a lot of sugar back then. I might have been. Uh I did. I know I did. I ate a ton. My mom was a huge baker. And she baked cookies and brownies and, like, tons of crap food. And I ate tons of it. I ate it all. I loved it. So if I look at the CDC's information, and we know how good their information is on COVID, but if you go back and look at their historical data on percentage of population with diabetes, and this is for either type 1 or type 2, but in 1958, less than 1% of people in the U.S. had diabetes, less than 1%. So the data all the way up to 2010 shows that 6.95, almost 7% in 2010. Today, the number is like 10%. Yeah, and the population has increased since then too. Right. Right, since the 50s. Absolutely. You know, so more people in the last 40, 50 years, right, 50 plus years, and we're just talking diabetes. I'm not even talking the rest of the... So some people that have syndrome X or that have insulin resistance don't get to the point where they develop insulin-dependent diabetes, right? They don't actually go so far into type 2 that they need to be on insulin and they need to be treated for it. And the general public thinks of fat people as the ones that are going to get sick. Well, guess what? 20% of the fat population, the morbidly obese, grotesquely fat 
population, 20% of them have absolutely no coronary artery disease and will never develop diabetes. They're just going to live a life normal like anyone else would and die at a normal age like anyone else would. They just happen to be fat. The scary part is that the skinny people running around think that they're all healthy because they're physically fit and skinny. And yet, like 40 to 50% of them have either pre or, or diabetes. And I hate the term pre-diabetes. I hate pre-anything in the medical field. So you're pre-diabetic. No, you're either diabetic or you're not. Yeah. Right? Everyone's pre-diabetic in a sense, right? You're pre-diabetic until you're diabetic. Yeah. Like you're pre-car accident until you're in a car accident. Because you're driving a car, you're essentially pre-car accident. You may not have had one yet. It may happen when you're an adult. It may happen when you're a teen. But you're going to probably get in a car accident at some point in time yeah. if you drive enough. So if you look at driving as eating carbs, the risk is higher. Right? Yeah. Getting in a car accident or getting in diabetes. And everything we eat has carbs in it. Right. So the group that actually decides all this information, the guidelines are developed by the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Health and Human Services. And every five years, it's the same argument, the same problem. Nothing changes. Nothing. So Americans are sick. We, as a society, look around, walk through any store, any restaurant when they reopen because of COVID, walk through the mall, walk through Home Depot, and just on on your on one hand count of the number of people you pass put a finger out for every fat person you pass and know that some of the skinny people you pass are sick too but just figure if 80% of the fat people are sick put your hand you'll run out of fingers before you get to the end of most checkout lanes or aisles and i'm not saying i don't struggle with the same problem i do like i struggle with I'm a carboholic like anyone else. Science has proven that it's 10 times more addictive than cocaine. Carbohydrates are way more addictive. But guess what? We're all still doing them, and we think it's fine. So these guidelines that are developed by the Department of, Department of Agriculture and the Department of Health and Human Services have a committee of people who make these decisions. Well, guess who the committee is sponsored by? Coca-Cola. How did you know? Oh, it's because I told you. So you, you didn't tell you, me. You cheated. I didn't cheat. You cheated. Cheater. No one told me anything. I'm just that brilliant. Oh, is that what it is? Mm. Mm, I like that. So when we look at the numbers here, um, it's called ILSI, which is the International Life Sciences Institute. And the majority of the people who are making up our dietary guidelines are part of this group. This group was started by Coke. Well, it was indirectly started by Coke. The guy who, one of the CEOs who helped run Coca-Cola started this group. So they try and separate themselves, but they're a huge funder of the research that goes on in this group. Sure. Lobbyists. Yeah. So ILI is a food industry group, okay? And their their goal is to um, help supposedly, so they say that their goal is to help provide better public information for what you know, what science for the public good and improve health and well-being and the safeguards of the environment. So 
they feel like that they're doing good investigations and good journalism and that they're lobbying for, uh, but their interests protect the food industry. They actually don't protect us, public health. You know what I mean? They're not protecting you and I. They're protecting the people manufacture the product. Yes. So uh, in a 2020 study the of public health and nutrition, which was published in Public Health and Nutrition, the more evidence is that the ILSI is a food industry front uh, based on documents obtained by the U.S. Right to Know group, the state public records request. The study uncovered a pattern of activity which ILSI sought to exploit the credibility of scientists and academics to bolster the industry positions and promote industry-devised content in its meetings. So these guys constantly fight to make sure that the sugar industry and the food manufacturers are out in front of this argument that we're making about sugar being bad, right? So of all the data that's hilarious to me is that we've known since these studies were done in the 60s that sugar's bad. Yeah, even further back. Yeah. So I'm looking at uh, Politico wrote an article about the money behind the fight over over uh, healthy eating. <laughs> and they get very upset because this woman named Nina Teichholz, who wrote a book, she's a nutritionist and is a big advocate for like real food. She wrote a book called The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. And then she's supported by these two lawmakers, um, John and Laura Arnold, who are multi-billionaires in Houston. Mm-hmm. They're lawyers, but billionaires. And so they, they've they kind of funded her research, helped to fund her research. So everyone attacks uh, Nina Teicholz for her advocacy against the sugar industry. And she's on the panel, right, to try and fight for the new guidelines, but she's one voice against the mob. Yeah. The mob doesn't like to change. And so people attack her. But yet the food in, the people on that panel are all supported by the food industry and ILSI, right? So if you look at the food industry, how many, how many people are actually, or how many foods are actually created by the food industry? There's 10 companies that create pretty much everything you eat. Nestle, PepsiCo, General Mills, Kellogg's, uh, Associated British Foods, which is a company that makes stuff that doesn't really sell here in the U.S., Mars, um, Dannon, the same yogurt company, they make a lot of products, uh, and Coca-Cola. Um, there's a couple others, Wrigley, um, and a couple other foreign brands that don't make a lot of stuff sold in the U.S. But when you look back at these companies who make all of this product, there's only a few and they're feeding America. And what do all these companies have in common? Sugar. Oh, yeah. Every one of them. Every single one of them has major food production based in carbohydrates or sugar in some way, shape, or form. From potato chips that have added sugar to yogurts with added sugar to soda pop with added sugar or pop or whatever one yeah, call it. everything has sugar. Right. And we're all fatter and sicker because of it. So July 1st, I started keto. Well, you did. Yeah, I did. I actually fasted for two days. Did an intermittent fast, I should say, because in the morning I had black coffee with some heavy cream, and it doesn't have any any uh, carbs in it and just fat. 
So I had that for my breakfast, and then I didn't eat until my next coffee the next morning. Yeah, I want to try the the is it called a bulletproof bullet coffee or whatever? Yeah, the bulletproof coffee, the one they made with butter and stuff in it, butter so, and coconut oil. Yeah. So last year I did this to show my patients that I I would argue with my patients that carbohydrates were going to be the killer of my generation. Cigarettes will kill my parents' generation, cause cancer. Carbohydrates are going to kill my generation, and I don't know what's going to kill my kids' generation, but there'll be something. They'll have something, right? So I did this last year, and I I'd eat I ate carbs pretty heavily for three months before I did the keto thing. And last year in July, I did it again. And so I did my lab work, and my triglycerides were through the roof. They were like 478 in August. So few weeks later, I think it was six weeks later, I didn't eat anything but less than 20 grams of carbs a day is what I ate. And I dropped my triglycerides down to 84. Yep. No drugs, yep, no, no meds. Drugs. Now, the irony is, is that my LDL didn't change a whole lot and my you know, total cholesterol didn't change a whole heck of a lot, but my triglycerides fell drastically. What's even different is the makeup of my LDL changed. So I had, I ordered fractionated LDL or a fractionated cholesterol panel, which will show me all the different, your, show your IR, your insulin resistance value. It'll show you your large LDL and small LDL particle count. It'll show you your LP little A count. So all of the values that you need to really determine your risk factors, not just the numbers, right? Yeah. So all those numbers improved yet the total cholesterol stayed the same and the total LDL stayed the same. So if I was treating a patient based only on their numbers and their data, I wouldn't necessarily be treating them properly, I don't think, because I don't have all the information, right? Yeah. Because even in this study done in the 60s, it shows that if you get rid of saturated fats and you replace meat fats with oils or like they used safflower oil, um, which is still in production today, I'm pretty sure. But so they replaced all the saturated fats from meats and cheeses with uh, safflower oil. And they dropped, these people's numbers dropped great. It's awesome. All of a sudden they weren't having any, you know, their cholesterol was better. Their LDL numbers were better. Everything was good. However, it didn't cure them. Actually killed them faster. So so we made the numbers better, right? We improved the lab value, but we killed the patient sooner. Oops. It was like there's a 6% difference, which supposedly translates to a 22% increase in rate of death amongst that group. And that study was done in 1966 to 1973. Um, it was this called the Sydney Diet Heart Study, and it was published uh, just recently because it was declined to be published at the time. So uh, a guy named Chris Ramsden at the NIH found it and uh, accepted and published it in 2012. So it's just funny to me that this was ambulatory coronary artery disease having patients males between 30 and 59 years old. And the study shows that, yeah, it lowers their data, lowers their lab values, but kills them faster. And what do we do? Well, let's put that in the dietary guidelines. That's a good idea. 
Get rid less animal fat would be good for you. We'll increase the oils a little bit and more sugar. We should definitely do more sugar. Definitely. So aren't you gonna aren't you starting keto? You started keto, didn't you? I did. I started today. Cool. How are you feeling on keto? Um, a little tired, a little bit of a headache. Yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty I did keto I don't know, like two years ago. And I was pretty, I was very strict actually for a good four months. Yeah. Uh, you lost a bunch of weight though, right? Yeah, I did. Um, but like everything else, you know, there's so many, you're influenced by everything that's out there at the grocery store, right? So after you're done eating keto, whatever, you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll have some bread <laughs> or, <laughs> right. or whatever. Just um, a little, a little dab. Yeah. And I'm not a big bread eater, but, um, yeah, well, whatever, you know, or, you know, you're running around, you're running late, you don't eat dinner. Cause it, you know, a lot of it is, you know, prepping and making sure you have the, the food in your fridge and you're consistently cooking. Um, if you have the time to do it, it's great, right? It's a, it's a great diet to be on. It's, it's really helpful, but you know, two years ago when I was extremely strict, I did the same. I had same labs done too. I think my triglycerides they weren't as high as yours oh no i went hog wild man i ate like i think mine was like mine was probably 300 okay maybe yeah or or over or just over 300 or just over 200 i I can't remember maybe 260 something okay but whatever and then my cholesterol was two maybe that was 260 and triglycerides were like three something and then when I did, I was six months off of keto when I did my labs. Okay. What's funny is uh, my triglycerides were like 69, 67. Yeah. yeah. And my cholesterol was like 208. Okay. So it was so, better. All across the board better. So across the board better. Although it's funny. And I, because... wasn't, and I wasn't on keto at the time. I had gone off for a couple months because we were going into the holidays and stuff. Right. And this was probably at least four months off keto. I... I am upset that I didn't get my labs done while I was on keto to see if my numbers, they probably were lower, to be honest with you. Well, so I went into this thing last year thinking the same way that my patients do, and I looked at it as a diet, right? And I I mean, doctors don't receive any training and education in food or how it affects the human body. There's literally zero hours spent on nutrition in medical school. As a nurse practitioner, there's probably an hour sprint on nutritional sciences. So most medical professionals rely heavily on nutritionists to provide the data. And most nutritionists follow the same stereotypical guidelines that are followed, that are published every five years on nutrition. Yeah, I I have to grab my paperwork because I saw a nutritionist and she told me I have to pull that up. So didn't we, she tell you to eat every couple hours or some shit? Well, I, you know, eat small meals, but I I remember her focusing on carbs, but I don't remember what her number was, her percentage was. Okay, because she wasn't talking then. Oh, you really need to be on a keto diet or anything right. similar to that. Well, it's kind of funny how it's really gained a lot of prevalence. I have to. Think people like Gary Fedke who talked about it and then lost their license to practice medicine and then had to fight to get their license back because they talked about eating a low carb diet. 
um, because they people like him really put this into into perspective. You know what I mean? Gary Tobbs is a, a journalist. He's written about it. Um, he's pretty active in the community. Dave Feldman, who lives here in Vegas, he's a, a research scientist now. He was actually a computer con- engineer before, not a medical doctor, but he actually broke down LDL, HDL, triglycerides, understands how it works, and then was able to differentiate between how keto can actually benefit people. Um, so these people who are from outside the industry had to come in and tell the industry people what the hell they were doing. Yeah, non-biased or unbiased opinion. Right, an unbiased opinion on it, absolutely. Yeah. They had to give an unbiased medical opinion and be able to just look at the data, the pure data, not because their guidelines told them to. I mean, how many times have I written a prescription based on goal-directed medical therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Because the guidelines told me to. However, most of the time, if it's not diet-specific, I have numerous randomized controlled trials, right? Um, and that highlights the reason I'm giving you, say, carvedilol for heart failure, right? So there's studies out there that are going to show me how many people have been in the trial, who we've tested. Food, however, is been we've been lied to for years about food. Your grandma told you breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Right. Where did she hear that? It was an ad campaign for, I think, Kellogg's or Jimmy Dean sausages or some shit back in the day. Yeah. Kellogg's Corporation was part of the Seventh day Adventist uh, religious group. And they're who create, they are the group that created veganism as we know it today. They wanted to create a way for you to eat breakfast without eating meat. So they created Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. Now, covered in sugar, right? Yeah, that's my favorite uh, cereal. I'm sure that's most people's. It's a great cereal. Because I don't want to add sugar. It already has it. It's covered in it. Perfect. It's horrible for you. Bad for your health. Yeah. but That's what I ate when I was a kid. Right. So I must have been the fat guy. I was definitely the token, for sure. Um, But like, so Robert Lustig, he's a pediatric neuroendocrinologist, um, and he has a really good... If you have time to look up this information, you really, people out there listening are really curious about this, you want to watch a video called Sugar, the Bitter Truth. And it's kind of the start, the precursor that got the ball rolling in the low-carb community. He was one of the first people back in 2009, I think the video came out. And he was giving a talk uh, at UC San Francisco, University of California, San Francisco, uh, UCSF. And he's talking to a bunch of medical students. So it's pretty thick with medical jargon, but he's a really good speaker. So he breaks it down for people to understand. And within hours or days, whatever, it gained a bunch of views. And then a few later, later, now it's up to millions of views. Um, And you wouldn't see millions of views from a medical talk generally. That's generally kind of boring and dry. You know, that's why we started this podcast. So it wasn't boring and dry. Because I hate boring and dry. I want to fall asleep when I'm listening to them on the drive home. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to more boring stuff in the medical community. Welcome to Monotone Voices. Monotone Voices. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. 
monotone voices would be like this lady right here. This one? Uh, no. Let's see. How dare you? Yeah, that's monotone voices. <laughs> She's kind of monotone. Um, and annoying. I like the voice though. The how dare you voice? Hilarious. So I will use that every podcast. No, I'm just kidding. From here on out, until I find another sound I want to <laughs> use, that one seems to work. But uh, Robert Lustig was able to like articulate why it's important for us to cut fructose, which is part of table sugar, out of our diet, and why high fructose corn syrup in foods is going to be the death nail in the coffin of current society. Yeah. Um. So if you're interested, people, go watch that video on YouTube. It's free. Doesn't you don't have to. It's not behind a paywall. You don't have to. Can we uh, put a link into it on our Twitter? Yeah, we could do that. I'll put a link in Twitter. So if you want to follow it, I'll link up on Twitter here in the next few hours. So it's available for everybody. Um, And you can email us. We'll send you a link if you want. And I'll try and put a link in the description of the podcast as well. You'll be able to see the video. Because I think it's the information is great. It's sound and it's important. And then if you're interested in actually understanding how to eat this way from here now because like i said earlier i thought of it as a diet but it needs to be a complete lifestyle transformation it needs to not be a diet the word diet the four-letter word is a temporary thing in american culture yep even though when you speak about it medically what is their diet right that means what do they eat regularly but when you say diet people think weight watchers jenny craig yeah you know, the all lemon diet, I don't know, whatever else they got out there, they got all these different diets, you know, South Beach, Atkins, underwater basket weaving, there's some others. Yep. All the, all turkey diet, the all bread diet, I don't know, making them up now, but it's probably those available. Is that one, a carnivore diet? And That's then- actually a really good diet. <laughs> the, the people who are doing the carnivore diet, which is all saturated fats and meat, protein, right? Mm-hmm. No carb, right? So it's a, it's a knock on, it's a twist on the keto diet without yeah. a bunch of veggies and stuff. It's yeah. all meats. The people who do it are like physically fit, doing well. Now there's a argument because there's a video out on Netflix. A lot of my patients ask me about, um, about vegetarians and veganism. And it shows all of these really good top elite athletes in the world, gold medalists and cycling and, weightlifting and NFL football players and they've all transitioned to eat um, a plant-based diet and get away from meat, right? They want to stop eating meat. Yeah. Well, they didn't stop eating meat till they were gold medal athletes. They didn't get there by being vegetarians. They are maintaining maybe with their supplements because you have to supplement b12 you have to supplement some other vitamins you can't just eat vegetarian and not expect to have some malnourishment in some regard you're going to miss a big portion of your diet right so these people are already physically fit muscle they didn't build that on being a vegetarian yeah you're saying they weren't a vegetarian their whole life correct they just became a vegetarian recently and they're like and i feel better and i'm doing all this stuff and it's great but they didn't they didn't interview in this video me, the guy that sits at his desk. They didn't interview the average Joe. They only interviewed people who were training eight, ten hours a day to meet the requirements of their, 
highly sought after skill set, whatever that may be yeah. in the physical community. They didn't ask an accountant who sits at a desk all day. So you've been eating this uh, wonder, wonderful burger or whatever that is from Burger King. How do you, no. do you feel better? You know, what a burger. What? No, not the water burger. It's a, uh, the incredible burger. Beyond meat. Yeah. The beyond the incredible burger. Right. Yeah. So they didn't ask them. Like, did this person who was 350 pounds, morbidly obese, on the borderline of developing type 2 diabetes, did they, like, give this person all of a sudden, oh, you're going to eat vegan, um, and you're going to eat all this crap food, and you're going to be physically fit and win a gold medal in the Olympics. Well, there's a lot of people that go no. to a plant-based diet yeah. to come off of the plant-based diet because they're just not meeting. Wait, what do you mean? They're gonna. They go to it to come off of it. No, no. They go. They go to it saying, "I'm gonna be on plant based." Right. right. These are the average people. Right. I'm gonna do plant based. I'm gonna follow. Now, if they have an right. ethical dilemma with killing animals or whatever, more power to you. That's awesome. Sure. Good for you. I support that all 100. percent But then they come off of it because they miss some of the things, and probably because they're not taking in the proper nutritional. Right. Um, they're missing major nutrients. So they crave these. You know, they're craving meat. They're craving. You know, they're craving the things that they, they're not eating anymore. Right. So they come off of it. Or, you know, that's why I like keto. I like keto and, you know, I wouldn't even mind keto with some carnivore. Like on a weekend, like if I want to. Yeah. What do they call that? Shred. You want to you wanna shred? I have, you know a ways I, mean? to, I have a ways to yeah, go. But you know what I mean? Like shredding. if I want to, if I want to like try to drop a little bit more weight or, 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 you know, just take the carbs completely out. Yeah. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be great to inter intermix those two diets. Yeah, for That's sure. The other one, there was another one out there. Uh, you know the, the the one that from a million years ago. What do they call that diet? The Ad is the Atkins one. No, I'm talking, I'm talking like literally a million years ago. What do they call those people the caveman diet. Yeah, whatever it's called. That one is. <laughs> you got to think about you know what were we eating when we were cavemen? Well, that's funny because there's a really good talk about that a while back, and uh, they say that. Not everyone was eating the same thing, right? Because so if you were an Eskimo, you weren't eating strawberries, right? Because there's fish not not planting well, they, a lot of strawberries yeah. up in northern Alaska or Canada. Right? I think it's prior. I think it's hunter gatherer. Right, but a hunter gatherer were not eating a ton of carbs at all. No. They were eating more meats, but they were also eating a lot of plants too. They were eating a ton of plant based. Yeah. But they were eating nuts and berries right. and, and they, legumes, yeah, and uh, probably low fat uh, meats like deer meat. Yeah, I but uh, right, but I don't know. But that it, it had was... fat in it. Like yeah. I'm sure we ate the eyeballs, and you know, I'm sure we ate everything of that deer. We didn't let I'm that sure. go to waste. Well, no, they didn't waste anything back hundred million years ago yeah. or whatever. So to me, like even that diet isn't terrible. Is it? it it's, but to me, that's all. All that is. It sounds really cool to look at it. That came in that. All it is is real food. That's a real food diet. That's not a processed food diet. Ninety percent of the food in our store is processed food from those ten companies. Yeah, it's in a you package. Got, it sits on a off. shelf for six weeks and it stays viable for another ten weeks after you buy it. Yeah, the expiration date isn't for a year from now. It's like. You have to get off the processed foods. Yeah, that's the goal. You know, and I'm not one to say that you have to eat any specific item. I try with my patients to get them to eat less carbs. I just say you got to stop 
the carbohydrates in in some regard somehow and people all my patients will be like no i don't i don't eat carbs man i don't eat them and then you tell them to if you don't know what you're eating you don't know so i tell them i need you to take a picture of every food you eat take a picture if it came out of a box i want you to take a picture of the front of the box and the back of the box mm-hmm. everything you eat and we're gonna sit down and we're gonna talk about it and they come in and see me and guess what we calculate it out, and they eat like the average American eats, and they think they're eating healthy. Yeah. They literally believe that they're eating healthy, right? But you calculate it up, it's like 300 to 500 grams of carbs a day. That's a lot. That's the average person, right? Yeah. Lot. Well, it's, it was me up until yesterday. So one one glass of orange juice has, what, 40-some grams of carbs in it, in a glass, 8-ounce glass of orange juice, the same as in a 12-ounce Pepsi. But you wouldn't need eight oranges to squish to make that same glass of orange juice. Would you then, would you make fresh orange juice? No, why would you? Because you're getting rid of the important part, which is all the fiber. You're just squeezing the fiber out of it, like squeezing the juice out of it. I'm not an orange juice guy, so. I'm just saying a lot of people like orange juice, and it's easy to down two or three glasses of orange juice at breakfast. Oh, That's yeah. 150 grams of carbs, 120 grams of carbs. Yeah. Quickly. I think once you start knowing what you're consuming, like actually looking at the yeah. the labels, then you can really weed out a lot of the products that are out there that are really bad for you. I think people will be surprised if they actually look at the label. I, most people don't even look at the label. They look at the caricature on the front of the package and they say, oh, this looks tasty or looks good, the picture or the character. Or they look at the, you know, the Diabetes Association says this is good, so it must be good. Yeah. But I, I think if you're looking at the, the you know, just it, it, first step, and we're not even talking about looking at the ingredients inside. No. We're just talking about looking at the calories and fat from calories and all that other stuff, yeah. carb, sugar, added sugar, all that crap. If you just started there yeah, and reduced carbs, carbs you will see an improvement. Once you're comfortable don't even worry about counting calories. That's a bunch of yeah. Bullets. No, no, no. I'm not counting calories. No, I'm calories one, are useless. Once you're comfortable, because the reality of it is, you need to have a negative deficit anyways to lose weight. You can eat all the car. You can eat anything you want, right? If you ate three thousand calories, but you burned five thousand a day, no, that's not true. You're going to lose some weight. Not true. Absolutely. Not true. I'm not going to lose weight by having a negative deficit in calories. Doesn't work. Th- our body doesn't work the same just way. In ge- just in general, I, it worked for me, right? But not healthfully. Yeah, but no, you didn't lose. You didn't lose healthy. We're talking weight. about basic people just saying that's what I'm t- being told, right? That's no, what, I understand, but that's what they're being told, and they're being told a lie. That's calories are that's not our calories. Whole, that's our whole argument here. But I'm saying calories are not calories. They're not the same. They're not all created the same. You can't tell me that a calorie from broccoli is the same as a calorie from Pepsi. No. Okay, so then not all calories are the same. But if I'm burning... All pounds are the same, though. A pound of feathers and a pound of lead is a pound, right? Yes, but you can trick people up on that one. You can, Just saying. but a pound is a pound, right? A pound is a pound. Okay, so the measurement's the same, and the work and energy is the same, supposedly, but how your body receives a calorie of a high-fiber food as opposed to how your body receives the calorie of an empty calorie like Pepsi, yeah, fortified with high fructose corn syrup, is completely different. And yeah. your insulin response 
to both of those and the speed in which you intake the carbs in the food is completely different. So no, calories don't matter. There's people who eat carnivore diet who eat six, eight, seven, ten thousand calories a day. Lose weight. Lose weight by doing nothing? Yes. Lose weight by eating properly. But if you eat all carbs that many, you'll just gain. Oh, yeah. Welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I'm getting at, though, is, I mean, if you put in, if you put in the work and you do the, you do a little bit of just, you know, quickly scanning, you'll get comfortable with the products that you're looking at. You mean put in the work of learning the correct, the material, not the work of physical activity. Correct. Right, right, right. right. So if you're, if you're putting in that work, then you'll know what, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm not eating a Snickers today, right? I, even though I feel like a, you know, angry Karen, (laughs) right? I'm not going to eat that Snickers. Not eating the Snickers. But if I ate, like you said, like if I ate, you know, broccoli or, cauliflower rice or you know stuff that it fills you you more yeah substitute you you feel more right Right. you feel you feel your belly more right but it's not as harmful and you can burn it all you know you you burn that stuff pretty good well not only that but you're gonna feel fuller longer right you'll it'll fill the the satiety of your body you won't want to eat anymore so you'll eat less volume and you'll eat less frequently. Um, and then you can start, you know, the building blocks of actually eating properly. Yeah. And the minute you learn this, you're going to walk in a grocery store and you're like, everything in here is trying to kill me. Yeah. It'll literally be looking like there's guns pointing at you. I mean, not figuratively, obviously not realistically, but the potato, well, the potato chip aisle will look like it's trying to kill you. The soda aisle will try and kill you. The candy aisle. And surprisingly, the pasta aisle. you'll bypass those aisles. Once you understand. Once you understand it, absolutely. Well, not just understand it, but once you, because I think there's levels to this. Just like when it comes to acceptance, grievance, like all those processes that you go through um, when you change something, there's a, there's a buy-in that has to be taken by the patient or the person doing this, right? I say patient because that's who I'm treating, but it could just be someone at the other end of this podcast listening. So if you if you follow the guidelines of like a true keto-based diet and you decide that you want to change your lifestyle and get healthy and you run down the rabbit hole of information available to you on website after website about keto, you buy into it, you're not going to say that yet. You're going to have to see results for yourself. Yeah. Once you buy in, well, once you attempt to start and fail and then reattempt a second time, because just know that everyone who does this will stumble. Nobody's perfect at it. Yeah. First and two weeks are, t- are the difficult, toughest. right? Yeah. And the progression of weight loss is fast and then it's slow and then you might gain some weight and then you lose weight. So it's not like this linear decline in weight you don't just fall correct you, you you know just keep in mind that you're you're not necessarily going to some weeks you're not going to lose any weight right but you, but you will lose inches absolutely you will see your body tightening up and pants really, fit differently yeah like you'll sit there and go man but i didn't lose any weight but but i i just did my measurements and i'm i'm one inch smaller around the waist yeah, i had to put an extra notch in my belt or whatever yeah what a problem to have 
Yeah, Jay. To, we never have a problem buying new wardrobes when we get thin. It's always a pain in the neck when we go, I'm too fat for my pants now. I've got to buy new pants. It's always, well, unless we'll gladly spend $1,000 on new clothes yeah. quickly if we got, got thinner clothes. Yeah, I've got a lot of thin <laughs> clothes up in my closet right now that I, <laughs> I need to work myself into. You almost have two wardrobes, the summer and the winter <laughs> wardrobe. But, you know, if you, if you, if you go down that, like you said, if you go down that rabbit hole, right? If you, if you really make the effort of doing a, a, a changing the way you think about food, you should. And like I said, in the first two weeks is pretty tough. Yeah. But you should come away from it. I know when I was on it, I felt, I felt great. Yeah. I already feel great. Like I've the been first doing it for two weeks, seven days. like the first two weeks were a little bit, you know, I'm a little sluggish. Like I have a little bit of a headache. Yeah. They almost call it a keto flu. Yeah, I've heard that term too. Yeah. Um it's not COVID. It's not COVID, no. And, and uh, don't seek medical help. And you for do it. not need to wear a mask for it either. No, no but masks. What you can uh glean from it is the fact that you're gonna you're you're just going to f- physically feel better. Yeah. And you're going to the cravings that, that people that are on carbs, those go away. Which is really nice. Yeah, there's a there's a burn in time, and then there's a, a matter of time before it's like I want to say it's thirty days to for your body to relearn a process or relearn how to do. I think it's thirty days. I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. But there's a time anyway from when you start to when you get through it. Almost like when you quit smoking. If for those of you who've quit smoking. That was difficult for some people. Easy for some, difficult for others. However, at some point in time when you quit, you're just like, no, I'm I'm done. I don't want it. And then you smell a cigarette from someone smoking, you know, up the street or in the bank teller line at the drive up window, and you're like, three cars up, someone's smoking. That stinks. Yeah. You know right away someone's smoking, right? When you quit smoking. So the quitting carb thing takes a while, but all of a sudden, and don't get me wrong, we're all addictive. We have addictive personalities to some degree. So we're either addicted to eating carbs or addicted to something in some, in some way, shape or form addicted to a repetitive going to church. Every Sunday could be your addiction. Reading a book could be your addiction. It could be healthy addictions. It's not a bad thing to be addicted to something. Yeah. Right. But we're all somewhat addicted to carbs in some regard. And so that I don't know that it ever goes away, but when you know that it's bad for you, then all of a sudden you say, "Oh my gosh, that's uh, important to stay away from." Yeah, especially when you're when you're in ketosis, right? Yeah, and you you monitor it, you know, strips or however you're going to monitor your ketones or whatever. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways you can pee on a urine strip, which I don't advocate for because I think that's a really Piss poor away. <laughs> I need a yeah, hi hat. You have it. I probably have one in there somewhere. <laughs> um, no pun intended. Literally, it's just that I don't believe that that's as accurate because the the blood, the glucometer, and the ketone meter seem to be the best. And I advocate for Keto Mojo's meter. They're not a sponsor of this podcast yet, but they should be because we're amazing. Um, but the Keto Mojo. Uh, you can buy on Amazon. Uh, you put, you know, you poke your finger just like you would for checking diabetes. You put the strip in, poke your finger, put your blood on the strip. It'll tell you what your ketones are. Mm-hmm. And then the next strip can tell you what your glucose is. And then you can do a ketone glucose ratio to see if you're in ketosis. So 
check minded day. Yeah. And, and what I'm getting at with that though, is once you're in it, you really don't want, you know, you, you really are more conscious of what you consume because you're like, I don't want to get out of it. Yeah. I'm excited. Great. I, I'm excited to be in it. And the, and the transformation your body goes through when you do it is super beneficial. I mean, and you'll see the change. So if you're going if you're going to your doctor and the doctor's like, "Well, your blood pressure's a lot better and you lost some weight." Uh, let's take you off of a drug. That's a win. Yeah. In my opinion, that's a bonus. There's a lot of people that want to keep that I know of that want to keto and have come off of diabetic medication. Yeah, absolutely. Their A1C uh, is a blood um is a blood uh, marker. Marker. I mean, for for to you know a general uh, marker to tell it's you it's like three months worth of sugar value, so it gives an average of what your yeah so you know levels are you want to be below five point four five point four good, I mean most people that are nine and ten they're super high they're on insulin they're probably. even yeah and they're even trying to get them just below seven right yeah they're fighting they're giving them new drugs there's new drugs out there too but i've seen people you know i i've talked with people that have you know yeah my dad he started keto he was a nine on his a1c mm-hmm. now he's like a 5.2 yeah like and not dramatic and off so, of medications which dr is, jason fung is a nephrologist in canada and he specializes in the treatment of like super severe diabetes and he gets people off their insulin his goal is to get people off insulin now he takes the worst of the worst i'm talking he told stories. I've listened to some of his stuff, and he's taking people that were in the hospital needing, like you said, leg or toe amputations, were on their second round of treatment for getting another leg amputated, and he sees them, and he will literally fast them for like 10 days or even up to 30 days, depending on who they are, to get their body to get rid of the, to get rid of all the sugar in their body, the carbs. Yeah. So their glucose is so high and their insulin resistance is so bad that, you know, they're looking to to change it. And he can get them off their drugs. It takes time and it takes buy-in from the patient. But he makes people healthy, which I think is what we should be doing. The idea that you should show up to my office and expect me to give you a drug for your problem is not how I operate. I don't think that's how a lot of people want to operate. That's how we've developed because it's a speed thing. Yeah. It takes more time for me to explain this to a patient. It's a lot of time to get a patient to understand this, to buy into it, to talk to them about it, and then for them to be like, yeah, yeah, but do you have a pill? <laughs> I know after all that. Yeah, and that happens a lot. Just get to the drug part. Just When, when do I get my pill? Yeah. I just uh, like the fact that my sugar levels, mm-hmm. I don't feel peaks and valleys. I don't feel like if no, I... No, you're like 100 kind of constantly. Well, you know, like I don't feel like if I go work out and use big muscles mm. before keto, I'd use big muscles and then I would have to sit down. I would feel really lightheaded. Yeah. Oh, not lightheaded, but I just feel like I need sugar, mm-hmm. right? Like my body's like doesn't know where to get it from. She's freaked out. Yeah, it, it does. And uh, Asking for its next supplement. Which next I have meal. plenty of fat. There's no reason why I can't break down my fat, but it doesn't. But you're not fat adapted. That's the problem. Yeah. See, so you uh, used, your body's so used to consuming sugar, and it's expecting another dose of sugar in a little bit, that it doesn't work the mechanisms necessary to start using fat to create glucose. Correct. So when you're on keto, you're just you're, you're steady. 
It's so yeah. nice. Like you can do that big workout and you will walk away from that and go, yeah, I feel pretty good. Right. Or maybe I feel like I need to eat, but I don't need to eat out of pure hunger. I just need to eat because my body's saying, you need to eat something, right. but not because of my sugar being too low. Like, oh, I'm shaky. Right. I just know that I'm hungry, but I'm hungry. It's a different hunger though. It's a different feeling of hunger. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's a, it's more pure, I guess I would say. Yeah. It's a realistic hunger. Hunger because my body wants, it needs some nutrient. Yeah. Not because it's time to eat. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like the Pavlov's dog. The bell has rung. It's now lunchtime. My mouth is salivating. I need to eat something. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like I said, it's it's amazing stuff. We'll talk more in the next episodes about keto. And, you know, for the for the three people that are listening out there. <laughs> All three of you. You know, I'll go, I'll go on the record. So I will, I will say I'm two sixteen point seven, my way right now today. Two sixteen. That's actually pretty good. I wish I was two sixteen. I'm nowhere near that. So two sixteen point seven. So I'll give you a, I'll give you a weekly update of where I stand on keto. I'm not going to mm. go into the whole what I'm eating stuff yet. I'm just gonna- yeah. Well, I'm going to highlight here that if. There's a really good website called dietdoctor.com. It was, I mean, it's amazing. Um, and I highly suggest it to my patients because it gives you like 800 meals that you can do and make in keto, low carb, different diets, different options. So it gives you a place to start. Yeah. You, know? you need it. You need, you need to have recipes and you need to, to meal prep on some of this stuff because there's going to be times that you don't want to reach for the bag of chips. Right. Shouldn't have them in your, but you know what the problem is, you know, we, I have kids, you know, they're not on a keto diet, you know, they're just being kids. They're just eating whatever, you know, they want to eat, whatever I, you know, they'll eat my food when I make it. So it should help them. It should benefit them. Right. Because my son has super, when he doesn't eat who he gets hangry. <laughs> You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's it's all over the place. So, you know, for me to start this diet, I think it would benefit him to have the food that I'm eating. Yeah. If I could get my kids to eat this way, that'd be great. I'm having a hell of a time. My kids are young. Yeah. Just leveling them out. I mean, I don't mind. They can have their fruit and stuff. They can have their natural fruit. You know, Right, right, right. My wife loves, you know, putting all that stuff into their, their meals. Yeah. You know, they want to have peaches that. or cherries or whatever. That's fine. Yeah. But if I can get them on, you know, where they're eating some vegetables. <laughs> that'd be good. That'd be great. But, you know, even if they're not even, but if they're eating food, you know, because you can tuck a lot of that stuff in there. Yeah. Like I said, the cauliflower rice. Mm-hmm. It tastes like rice to me. Yeah, it does. And I, I mean. Texture wise, it, it tastes. I got to look at the bag because I don't know how many carbs it has in it. So I'd have to read it. But I know cauliflower has carbs. So it's just a matter of how much you put in. All of my like Filipino patients will say, I eat, I eat a lot of rice, man. I got to have my rice. No, you don't. And there's no. a product out that is don't keto. It's a bag called keto rice. I don't know what. It, yeah. I'm not carb. a big advocate for the keto. There's freaking keto ice cream. Come on, man. It's just not cool. I'm not, I, mean, I haven't looked in any of that, but I'm saying that some of the stuff, if you look weird. out there, there, it's out there. You can, yeah, find you it. could find something. I mean, I have a buddy who's done keto now and he's been in ketosis hardcore ketosis for two straight years wow he checks his blood every day he's lost a bunch of weight got rid of a bunch of heart medications he's 60 plus years old is in the best shape of his life and he was a av- he was an army ranger he was you know younger years he was a, 
a police officer in LA, like the guy's fit, right? And he always was, but he always had a belly on him. Now he doesn't even have a belly. He's got rid of everything, all the excess. He's got abs again and he feels really good and he's doing keto all the time keto, but he eats very, what I call dirty keto. He eats pork rinds and he drinks uh, processed drinks like, you know, Powerade, sugar-free Powerades and stuff. Yeah. I don't advocate for that stuff. I think that stuff as poisonous, if not more, like all the chemicals in there yeah. are not good for you either. I'm more of a drink water. I'm, I, I drink coffee. I'm not going to say I don't drink. I drink my fair share of coffee. Right, so I drink my coffee, but I drink it with heavy cream, no sweeteners. Yeah. I don't put any any sugars, no stevia, no sweet and low, no. There's nothing, no honey, no sugar in the raw. Now it's supposed to be better for you because it's actual sugar versus pro. Stupid, right? No so butter yet. I've done a couple bulletproof coffees. I'm not a fan. I don't like that. Yeah, it's kind of got a harsh taste. I'm not a fan Is of it. Oh, the taste, not texture. Yeah, the taste. I mean, it's got like an oily texture because of the butter. It depends on who makes it, probably. I don't know. I just wasn't a fan of it. I mean, it's fine. It's not bad for you. But I think they put MCT oil on some of them, too, yeah. to get increase the fat content. I'm more of just a coffee and heavy cream guy. Speaking of coffee and heavy cream, I'm going to do a shout-out really quick to my buddy Preston. Uh, he works over at the coffee shop that I'm always at. And Preston, buddy. I'm not going to come in if you don't have freaking heavy. I'm sick of bringing my own heavy cream and then paying for my coffee. Okay. I'm just telling you right now, you're the manager of that store, dude. It's your job to get heavy cream. I don't know. I don't know who we got to get involved here. Like if my people got to talk to your people so we can fix this problem. <laughs> but I'm telling you, Preston, we're going to, we need to get some heavy cream. Or I'm, I'm bouncing. I'm going to your competitor, the mean green Starbucks machine. Oh, do they have heavy cream there? They do have heavy cream at yeah. Starbucks. And there's one just down the road. So Preston's going to, I'm an avid coffee drinker. I, Preston knows me. I go over there all the time. So, uh, in fact, they know, they used to know my drink because it was made with half and half. If he could just make it with heavy cream, you could call it a Tyler and you could put it on, you know what? We'll call it medically unbiased and we'll see if I'll put it on the menu. So <laughs> I can get <laughs> them to do that. Awesome. That'd be awesome. Right? I need a medically unbiased coffee. That'd be cool. Yeah. Like I like adding heavy cream to, we'll call it a mu M U scrambled. Eggs. No one will know what the M U means, a but mu. I'll know. So Preston, when you listen to this podcast, you need to hook me up, brother. Make sure we're getting some heavy cream over there. Okay. Yeah. Heavy cream with like scrambled eggs is really good. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, heavy cream on a cup of blueberries is low-carb ice cream. Mm. It's really tasty. So I'm just saying, come on, Preston. Give me some heavy cream, okay? Don't don't make me jump ship. I'm, I already got enough points to get a new free coffee, and you're not hooking me up, man. It's not helping me out. I'm sure he will. Yeah, I know he will. So next thing, random, just really fast, something random that you've ran into this last two weeks since we didn't do a podcast last week in the medical community that's either made you happy, sad, bugged you, Whatever, something cool, something different. Mm. You have something? Yeah, I do, actually. Go ahead, fire away. Communication between doctors, nurses, and the hospital in general. Very frustrating. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do about it, but I feel that the communication is lacking in the community. Not in knowledge. I think we all, I think the knowledge that's being brought forth is being disseminated very well across all media, you know, let's not talk about COVID. That's a, another topic, but I'm talking about 
heart disease, stroke, all the randomized controlled trials and the drugs that are being used to treat patients for different disease processes. I think that information is being given to the providers. And I think that when it comes down to it, the providers are reading and absorbing the data and the guidelines are helping to treat patients long-term, right? That's not the problem. It's that, and I was a bedside nurse, so I get it. And I was a bedside nurse in both the ICU and the ER. So when I take a brand new ER patient, I don't have time to read their entire chart. I don't have time to dig into their data, right? So then what if, as the, the provider gives you an order and you enter the order and then you walk away and then you change shifts or you get moved to another area and someone takes over your assignment and then that patient moves up to the floor. So the floor gets a really piss poor report and then the floor does its thing and then they change assignments or something. Now a new nurse has them, sees this patient, everything's been addressed, but doesn't know. So the patient, so the nurse then goes, well, who's on call? Now you got to dig through the system. Which doctor is seeing this patient? Takes time, treatment delays. Like there's got, there just has to be a better way to facilitate communication because it used to not be digital. Years ago, before I was in the practice, there was a face to face. The doctor was in the hospital all the time, rounding. That's where they practiced. They were in the hospital, and the nurse could ask the doctor questions. And I mean, that sounds very you know, Norman Rockwell painting of the situation. I think back then nurses were afraid to ask doctors because I think doctors were condescending to a lot of the female nurses. From what I've heard from older female nurses, I think it wasn't, you know, as beautiful and eloquent as I make it out to be. Yeah. But I do believe that if there was a problem, there was a doctor on the unit to do something. And I'm not saying there isn't in a lot of units. I'm saying that there's just a disconnect, I believe, today in the way we communicate. Text messaging leaves a lot open to interpretation. In, in fluctuation in voice, you could say, yeah, I'll be right there. And it could be, yes, I'll be right there. Dang it. Or be like, sure, I'll be right there. Yeah, I'll be right there. Yeah. Totally different. Same wording, right? But it's totally different. So that's my thing is how can I, I'm looking to try and figure out how I can be a better communicator from my perspective with other medical professionals, be it colleagues, doctors, nurse practitioners, uh, PAs, or be it uh, nursing staff in the facility treating patients? Well, like, I, what can I do? How can I facilitate I, a better environment to make my patients' experience better and make the people treating my patients better? Well, I, I think there needs to be like a, there's definitely a culture change that needs to happen Yeah, from nursing perspective. Mm-hmm. And that changes now that we're in the digital age and, and you see your patient as a practitioner and you come... Uh, you come see them and then you put in your notes, mm-hmm. right? I don't think a lot of, I, I don't see it as often. And I, and that's where the culture needs to change a little bit where the, the nursing staff and everybody else really needs to be reading those notes and, and seeing what you think or what, you know, what's hard to do when you're the staff in the ER and you're seeing 15 patients bouncing through and you only see them for 45 minutes, an hour, maybe two hours. And then they're not on your unit anymore and they go up to the floor. But nine times out of 10, when you're in the ER, you're not seeing the doctor anyways, right? The only, the only way you're going to get the information is from the ER doctor. If that's even happening, if that's even happening, but I'm just saying, I I think you would see a benefit if you know, the notes were put in in timely manner. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And there's a lot of times I delay my note. Absolutely. And you, and, and I, as a nurse have a brain, 
that I can read your note and read your intention. There's a right. lot of things that you wouldn't have to maybe necessarily call to the practitioner's attention right if it was already addressed in the note no that's true i mean yeah that's one thing i'm working on is being able to provide immediate notation right then and there i think i i do but I have the culture the delaying yes, a lot of times. yes but the culture change is for the 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 person caring for the patient actually reading the damn thing and seeing it like yeah, I, but, I don't but what know is, what is it take for me to just sometimes it's hard to seek the nurse out right so if a nurse has he or she has eight patients on a med search or 10 patients on a med search floor they could be in any nine other rooms they're not in my room well, very I, seldom i think yes but i think though that the, those nurses are are just taking the word of the previous report right as the word and and they're not diving into the chart maybe granted they may not have time but they're time. but the, if you're if you have a concern about a specific thing you really need to be looking at the cardiology report. Yeah, but, or the but here's my thing. From from the practitioner perspective, we also are busy, right? I have a lot of patients to see or round on, and I don't, I'm doing my thing, and I might be charting after hours. After I've seen the patient, I'm now not seeing patients, and now I'm going to chart, right? So now I'm going to spend time. I've written, scribbled down notes on my pad of paper, and yeah. now I'm going to put that pen paper data to the computer and give it and type it up. Well, I'm not, you know, verbally communicating my intentions. I'm typing it up, and it might be hours later. So you're right. Timely charting is important. However, I could probably mitigate a lot of problems if I just spent a couple extra minutes and found the nurse, and I said, hey, my name's Tyler from the cardiology group, and I just want to let you know that um, I added carvedilol to this patient. I added a beta blocker. So when you give your next set of meds, there's going to be extra, there's going to be an extra carbidol. And it's so that we can help slow his heart rate down because he's a little tacky. Yeah. Whatever, whatever I'm giving. Or I went up on his dose because he was at, you know, 3.125. I want to go to, you know, 6.25. So a culture change. A culture change. I want to speak to the nurse. And I think it's funny though, when I do that, I found that when I do that to the nurse, they look at me like they're not really sure because it's not normal (laughs) for that interaction to happen. Yeah. But if I can continue to do that from my perspective, I can only fix me. I can't fix the whole culture, right? It's hard to fix the whole. But I would think you would get less phone calls. Yeah. You would get less concerns from the nursing staff. And the concerns would be more valid when they call. As long as you get that note in before shift change, it should be good. Because remember, that report may not be the best report. That handoff. No. You know, oh, oh, by the way, you know, Tyler from blah, blah, blah came in. Yeah. Right. So that probably would skip because they didn't know you came in. Right. And if I didn't talk to them. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would think there's you know, been times when I was a bedside nurse, I'd read a note. And I'm like, I never even saw that doctor here, but I was also neck deep in another patient with like, you know, seven drips. And so then, and then I didn't see the, pa- didn't see the doctor see that patient, but the doctor never spoke to me either. And then let's say there was a critical value or a value. And then you look at the note and they, they kind of mention it in there. Do you, yeah. do you then not call the doctor? Because they mentioned it, because they've seen it. Depends on how they mention it. Uh, yeah. If it says "call me if there's a critical value," by absolutely I'll call them. But if it says "troponin elevated," aware that troponin will be elevated. If troponin does not go above fifteen, you know, I think continue. you can get better. Yeah, I think better uh, specific notes in the in their notes. Yeah, that's helpful too. Because I, as a nurse, I would like to read that and go, "Oh yeah, look at that. They've addressed the the troponin at three. Yeah, and they're." already addressing something that potentially future can happen mm-hmm. 
where I don't feel like, well, he's aware of it, right? He's aware of the three. <laughs> I, th- I think so. Seems to be. You know, I, but is he aware of the four? Because <laughs> yeah. it went to four. And he didn't is, address Tylenol. Should I call him anyways just for right. Tylenol? If she wants Tylenol. patient wants Tylenol. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I okay. Think, so that's my rapid thing to try and work on for me this week. So you come up with one next week because I don't want to put you on the spot because I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't cue No, in. it's good. Yeah, I'll come up with something next week. I haven't, uh, I don't know, man. I'm, 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 <laughs> what the July going, ruined man. you? You got the keto flu going I got on, the man. keto flu. Man. Nah, it's not the flu, man. You're doing good. You're doing awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to Medically Unbiased. Visit our website at medicallyunbiased.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Listening to this podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship. The Medically Unbiased podcast is for general information purposes only. Thanks for listening.